Welcome to another episode of The Shift with Elena Agar. In this episode, I speak with AJ Mises. He is the CEO of a company called The Human Reach, where they work with individuals uh, to help them land dream careers, anything from kind of job search strategy to actually landing that dream role that you're looking for. And he also does executive coaching for leaders around Silicon Valley and other parts of the U.S., uh, in this episode, we really talk about some of the themes he's seen come out as people look for a job, maybe go through career change, and he really gives away some practical tips of where people can start if you're not sure where to get started, or how do you make traction and actually land that dream job. So he is a wealth of information when it comes to career development, coaching, and really just you know growing in your particular area of work. So I highly recommend to check him out. He posts also a lot of ton and amazing content on his LinkedIn. So make sure you follow him there as well. But in the meantime, enjoy the episode and let me know what you think. AJ, welcome to the show. Elena, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So career transitions can be daunting. And you and I both know it's probably one of the most daunting things people go through. What has inspired you to get into that, that field and be like, I want to help all these daunting people? <laughs> <laughs> Totally. Well, I, you know, I think it goes back to a story that I tell, you know, I was uh, one of my very first jobs, um, the CEO of the company, her name is Sarah Menke, Sarah, shout out if you're listening. Um, and she sat me down during the interview and she asked me, what do you want to do? Like after you work at this recruiting firm, what do you want to do? And I said, I don't know, but I know I want to own my own company and I want to help people. Um, and this was, I don't know, maybe 15, 18 years ago. And, um, she, uh, has been like a huge guiding force in my life, uh, in my life. She was the one who kind of taught me about what it means to be an entrepreneur and how to grow a team and how to make a difference in the work that you do. And I really wanted to follow that. So, you know, over the course of my career, I've worked in HR. I worked at Facebook, uh, for about six years, uh, most recently, and I've led a lot of people teams, both in L&D, recruiting, HRBP, I mean, the whole kind of HR gamut. And people just always came to me asking for advice on like what to do with their career. Um, and so I figured like, okay, this is something that people are seeing me as an expert in. And why don't I try, you know, creating some content first, but then ultimately creating a program um, to help do this in real time. And so I've been doing that now for the past four years. That's amazing. You know, I was just, I was telling before we started recording, I was in a corporate retreat uh, these last couple of days. And it's funny because the, one of the topics that came up, um, I think we were just sharing experience. I don't remember what was the context specifically, but it was around, you know, how daunting a job search can be and that so many people have been going like depression and just like feeling so low for that period of time and how normal it is. Uh, have you also experienced that with people that you work with? Like, like what what do you think it is about the 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 job search process that seems to be universal no matter who you talk to it's just miserable like what what are we doing as professionals in this oh field you know totally i think there's a couple of things i think one it's repetitive and i'll get into each of these maybe I'll, we can dive in and talk about these but when mm -hmm. it's repetitive like wash rinse repeat over and over and over again and that is just super mundane number two there's a lot of rejection that's part mm -hmm. of it and that rejection can eat at our ego, it can eat at our self-worth. Um, and so I think that can be really difficult. And then number three is that the market shifts and changes all the time. And so what worked six months ago may not work right now. And so keeping up with that can be a challenge and it leaves you feeling dumbfounded. It has left me feeling that way uh, on, mm -hmm. on what to do. So yeah, I mean, wash, rinse, repeat. I mean, you're right. It's changing your resume. It's yeah. applying. It's answering the same questions over and over again. 
number, you know, and then number two on the, on, um, getting rejected, like that's the toughest part. And especially like at the time that we're recording this episode, like the market's just really hard right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, unemployment sure is at a, is an interesting percentage. I think the last time I saw it, it was at like two, 3% on an average. But if you look at mm -hmm. the open jobs that are getting posted right now, that is down almost 20%. So, um, when you have a lot of people who are unemployed or maybe even taking side gigs, which is contributing to the lower unemployment rate, sure. The unemployment rate looks good, but they're not, you're, you're not making what you were making, um, mm -hmm. in your last role. So I think it's just really hard right now. Yeah, I, I see that as well. And it's very, I think it's misleading in many ways as well. And I think I've also seen some reports recently, like the September surge, as we call it, right? Like when there's mm. like a lot of change, it seems to be a little bit less this year. So it's not as, as the numbers are not as high as you mentioned. But what's also, also interesting, I think, is that a lot of people over the last couple of years just really wanting a change. So you have this interesting dilemma where it's not just people looking for like a job as you would, right? Like in previous years, it's like you're actually trying to like, change a career which is very different from just looking for like a career change is very different than from just changing a job within your industry within your role have you seen that as well like because of all the changes people are looking for that yes. it might be even more harder to land a great opportunity yes and so um what's yes a lot of people wanting to sh like reevaluate their lives at this point and really decide like is the thing that i've been doing for the last 5 10 15 20 years the thing that i want to be doing next just because a lot of burnout, you know, there's a lot it, just in the system in general, I would say. Um, and there's also the birth of a lot of new roles, right? With the advent of AI, with the advent of new software and different industries that are being created, right? It's presenting a lot of opportunities for people to relook at what they're doing, where they're doing it too, and wanting to make a pivot. And then that's compounded by, you know, all of the, the, the lack of hiring that's happening right now. And so when you have a flooded market of candidates, it's about standing out and being the special, this, I put this in air quotes, the special forces mm. for that thing that you want to pivot to and being able to tell that story accurately, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's hard because it's like, usually like, you know, you know how we, how it works in HR for better or for worse, you know, you're going to, you got to tick the box. You got to come in, hit the ground running. And when you're doing a career change, especially if it's like mid-level or senior level of your career, People are going to be like, wait a minute, you've been doing X, but now you want to do Y, what? And then it's like, it's very, you know, it's, it's, it becomes even harder. Yeah. Um, I, um, I, I was reading something recently and I forget, I, I really need to look that up. I forget. I was talking to somebody about it today as well. And I was like, I forgot who said it, <laughs> but um, uh, there was, a, I guess, a, a CEO of a company, <clears throat> uh, a large company, and he was addressing the uh, the whole four day work week, right? And he was saying, he was like, it's unrealistic because uh, your, your competition is working five days. So, and then I was thinking, I was like, in an employee, like from an employee perspective, right? Like from a candidate perspective, although we're all looking to have that balance and that well being, and that because we're burnt out and we're trying to have more balanced, balanced life. But I'm curious your opinion. Um, what, what do you think about that? Because he kind of made sense. He was like, well, your competition is working five days a week. So if you want to work four days, that's fine, but you're not going to make it. And I kind of tend mm. to feel the same way on the employee side. That's my personal, very personal opinion. Um, yeah. You know, but it's. Uh, I'm just curious what you think, what you've seen. Like, are we ever going to get to a point where we're we're not? Um, how to say that you don't have to hustle to get ahead? Like, work smarter, not harder, right? Or is it? You know, is it still like you just got to put on the grind? Like, the grind is there no matter where you are or what you're yeah. doing. Yeah. 
So I am not a fan of hustle culture. That is <laughs> not something that I believe is going to contribute to the you know benefit of the world and benefit, especially of workers um, mm. in a capitalistic society like we are all born into. Yeah. Uh, and a couple of things kind of come to mind when you mention that. So one is a study that was released by a sub office of Microsoft in Japan, where they uh, were basically were a beta test of a four day work week and to determine whether or not they saw similar, less, more output from that team. And it was a huge success. They saw the same, sometimes if not better, employee engagement scores, sales scores, uh, manager ratings on uh, who they you know reporting to, and then also just quality of life uh, for those folks, which is so, so important. So I think, I think we're gonna see a shift similar to like the remote work shift, but I think it's gonna be a lot slower. Obviously we were forced into remote work because of COVID. So it was kind of like, okay, here's some floaties, make it happen and let's see if it's gonna work. Uh, and the, the four day work week, I think is going to be company by company. Um, mm -hmm. I would say of like our clients that get roles at companies that have four day work weeks, they're, they tend to be a lot happier. They're also remote too, um, but they work, I would say sometimes longer days uh, for those for those four days. So maybe instead of an eight hour day, they're working a nine or 10 hour day, mm -hmm. um, but they enjoy having the three days on the back end to rest and recharge. I think the other thing, I don't know if you're seeing this too, but like the other thing I'm seeing too is this big move in the gig economy. So like we have several marketing clients that we're working with right now who actually are preferring to take on folks from a, like as a consultant versus going in-house. And yes, sometimes it's because they were scarred because of the last place they were at. Maybe there was a terrible leadership team or the business tanked or whatever. So they're kind of wanting to try before they buy, but it's also very lucrative and they're not having to work as many hours as they did when they were like an FTE. So mm. Yeah, no, for sure. I definitely see the 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 gig economy is growing and growing, and it's uh, for me personally, it's just it's pleasant to see. Um, but I also see, and I, and I think there's different types of gig economy, right? I think there's this world of entrepreneurship that is very trendy right now, and um, it's 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 glamorous in some aspects, but it's also it is grind work. I don't know any no. entrepreneur that does not grind. It's just yeah. it's just what it is, and I think that. Yeah. People who leave the corporate world, or you know, and going into entrepreneurship, are um, are in for rude awakening if they're not understanding the grind aspect. But I do think that the gig economy, like the part-time kind of consulting work, etc., you know, I, I think I see a lot of that picking up alongside a full-time job. So you have like mm -hmm. a, some people have full-time job, and then they do like gigs from time to time. Um, so I do see that picking up, but uh, it's a uh, it's it's an interesting trend. I'm I'm curious where it's gonna go. Um, because it is pretty disruptive because in, at least in the, in the, um, in the area that I, I'm in DC area. And so I work with a lot of government, um, entities and like agencies. And so they often prefer as well, like full-time employees and like for, to be staffed on projects. So it's, so it's quite interesting. Um, and I think I'm in a very unique compared to you, you're on the West coast. So it's a little bit more, um, it's a different work culture almost on the West coast, I think. Yeah, for sure. And like, especially the startup world over here on the West is here in the Valley, like Silicon yeah. Valley. Um, a lot of companies don't have the funding to hire, like, you know, a VP of marketing full-time pay a quarter million dollars a year in salary plus benefits, blah, 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 blah. Mm. And so they tend, especially at the early stages, like seed stages, a stages, they start to hire people contractually, you know, X amount of hours a week, a month, whatever, or for project basis. 
Um, but you are so right about the rude awakening that comes with running your own practice, regardless if you're like an entrepreneur wanting to build like a business business with employees or wanting to work for yourself, like all of the admin that comes with it, like, like invoicing and calendaring and your standard operating, like all of that stuff that comes at the beginning stages, it is something to consider. Yeah. Um, I'm curious for, you know, when you are uh, talking with people who are still kind of in that corporate environment that really just kind of move from place to place, what have you found is like one thing that people typically overlook or don't spend as much time on and what are, and what do they instead waste their time on, so to say? Um, you mean like in terms of wanting to make a move? Yeah, like a career search strategy, like when people look into the career search strategies, what is the biggest thing you see like as a theme that maybe people miss mm. um, and don't spend as much time on as they should? Um, I think a lot of the times when we see people wanting to make shifts, they tend to focus on I can do X, Y, Z and A, B and C, and they tend to cast a really wide net on what they wanna do. And typically that comes from a place of fear of being really scared, like, okay, if I close myself off to one or two things, I'm gonna lose out on all these other things. Mm. But what, there's a couple of things that tend to happen when you do that. One is that you actually focus on things that aren't actually strengths. You might be good at doing that thing, but you're not, you don't actually like doing that. And that's not a strength, that's actually a weakness because if you're focusing on something that you're not, you don't love doing, um, you're forcing yourself to be in that vibe and that rhythm and that type of work. Um, and then also from like an outsider perspective, when someone's looking at you, they're like, okay, AJ can do all of these things. Why, like, why wouldn't I just go, why would I hire a Swiss army knife when I can go hire the special forces who like literally just knows this thing, like the back of their hand. Mm. Um, and so you tend to get looked over, uh, when, when that's the case. And so a lot of the advice that I give our clients is that you have to come across as a specialist. And so the work that you have to do to understand what it is that you are as a specialist is is the work that you have to be doing before you decide what you're going to pivot to. So what are the things that you love doing? Why do you love doing them? Who do you love doing it with and for? What type of industries are the ones that like make your feet tingle when you wake up in the morning? Both from an experience perspective, but also maybe from an, from an interest perspective that you want to get into. Mm. Um, asking your former friends and colleagues, like what you are known for. Like if, if someone were to call them up and say, hey, what's Elena known for? What, what would they say? Um, and that starts to give you a lot of clues about what you're good at and what you love doing and how other people see you to help kind of narrow that down into a specialist zone. Mm. And you know, what's interesting is that, um, and I'm curious your, your thoughts on this, but when, when I speak with people around like career development, when someone is going through a career change and they start asking these questions, oftentimes it's the first time they're like, what do I actually want to do? <laughs> you know, and I'm just almost like, she like, like, how is it that we're not, you know, and it's like, this is, this is a system issue. Like we're, we, we've gotten oh, wrong yeah. somewhere in society, like where we're not asking certain basic questions that are so, um, sounds so simple. Like, what do I want? But they're actually much more complicated. Right. And I think that's becomes like, cause when you're speaking, it's like, well, yeah, that makes sense. You should do it. But how many people don't do it? I'm curious what you think about that. Nobody. Uh, I, I, well, I shouldn't say nobody. That's like unrealistic, but I would say like less than 10% of our clients actually have done the work up front to understand what they want to do. Um, and, and maybe just career changers in general, like even when I'm talking to people who aren't a clients and just want, are thinking about making a career move, they just, you know, they're, they're stumped, but they haven't really gone through to make the effort to put together at a very basic level, like a list of things that they've loved doing in their last role. 
Um, and so that you're like, you're, you hit a nail on the head. It's, it's, it's kind of like putting the cart before the horse, like going after and finding something and just like changing your LinkedIn so that you could look that you can appear to do everything mm-hmm. versus like pause and take yeah. a moment to, to really think strategically about what you want to do. Yeah. Well, it sounds scary, you know, when you're like going through change and then you're like, wait a minute, like, and you start thinking about, cause I've gone through this several times. I'm sure people are listening are like, this is what it is, you know, but it's yeah. because there's so much fear. Cause you're like wait a minute, what have I been doing for the last X number of years? Why haven't I, you know, it's like almost like this, this regret, automatic regret. And you're like, what, you know, have I lived wrong for the last five years? Like, well, you know, so it's, uh, it's, and I think that's why it's so difficult. That's why we do the easy stuff. It's like, let me just, you know, throw the, 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 what's it called? The, oh my goodness. The, when you're fishing. The, oh, the line out, cast the yeah, line. Like a, yeah, like cast the line out there and see who, who, who bites, you know? Yeah. So I think, because I think that's just, it's out of fear because I think it just opens up, uh, at least like just thinking of my own experience, it opens up like, you know, a Pandora's box. <laughs> like when you start going deep down that route and then you're like, yeah. uh-oh, and it, it changes everything around you. Yeah. Well, interesting thing about brain science there, because you're right. It's like so scary thinking about, yay, yes, what am I going to be doing like looking forward? But also like, what have I been doing for my entire career? Have I made all these mistakes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a really interesting thing that happens in your brain when that conversation is happening. And it's between your amygdala and your cortex. So the two parts of your brain that are responsible for decision-making and then emotional response. Mm-hmm. And those two parts of our brains are always having conversations with each other. And the evolutionary reason why that happens is because they were developed, those parts of our brain were developed to avoid things that were going to kill us, harm us. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about fear, anxiety, those feelings, right? Both looking backwards and forwards, those are created that in their amygdala and the cortex and the cortex decides what to do with that feeling um, all in an effort to save our life. Yeah. And so a lot of the conversations that I like to have with folks is, okay, let's just recognize that that conversation's happening and that it's a biological response to what's happening. And it doesn't mean that it's bad or good. It just means that it's happening. And then mm-hmm. to recognize, okay, is it true that, you know, me changing a career from, let's say a salesperson to a marketing person is going to kill me. No. Right. You know, 10, 9.9999 times out of 10, it's not going to, it's not going to kill you. Um, but is it scary for sure? For sure. Um, and typically when we're scared about something, it's because we just don't have enough information. And so, um, that's, you know, a way that I like to look at it. Yeah, I think that's very powerful because there's so much, especially just we forget, we're so, you know, obviously we're very intelligent beings in general, right? But our biology is still very primitive in many ways and mm. it is there to just protect us. And I think just as you speak, it's like just having that understanding, like, well, yeah, like I'm just, you know, I'm just human. I'm, I'm having this human experience and it's okay. And like, this is part of being human and that's, it's there to protect me. And I think just understanding that and that it's okay to have all these doubts and emotions and feelings and fears and all those things. It's pretty normal and that it's uh, everybody goes through it at one point yeah. or another. And Brene Brown says it really beautifully, like confidence mm-hmm. doesn't come just by like waiting for confidence to land in your lap. Like it, that does, it doesn't exist. The confidence comes by moving through the uncertainty, by moving through the thing that you're scared of to give your brain more information so that it doesn't think that you're trying to, to, to die. Right. <laughs> um, and so, um, you know, more part of the biology piece is that when you notice the uncomfortability, when you notice that like, this is something that you're really scared about moving through, just think about the first step forward. What would one step forward look like? Don't think about the end goal. 
you know, that's 10 steps away, mm. one step, and then do that one thing. And your brain gets more information. Okay. You've done that one thing. Okay. Do the next thing. One more step forward. Mm. That I helps think that, retrain your brain. Yeah. I think that's super powerful. It's a, uh, especially in this day and age, like we're, you know, it's like the biggest thing I hear, at least in my work is like, well, I don't have time, you know? So like, well, you don't have to have a lot of time, right? Like just, you know, five minutes a day. Do you yes. hear that quite a bit with uh, some, maybe some people you've worked with in the past? Yeah. And typically it, for at least like stuff I encounter, that tends to be like a front. There tends to be like something underneath the onion. Like if you peel back the onion layer mm. of like, okay, you don't have time. What do you mean by that? And then usually it's like, well, you know, I have all these meetings or I have these family obligations or whatever. Okay. What is it? What do you mean by you have family obligations and you have all these meetings on your calendar and I'll, you know, you kind of go down and start peeling back the onion layer. Um, and you, I would say more than 50% of the time is that they're not making time mm -hmm. or, or that this isn't a priority right now, which is absolutely okay. That is cool. Because mm -hmm. when it becomes a priority, guess what we do? We make time for the thing that we have to do, right? Your kid has a mm -hmm. soccer game. Mm -hmm. You can't miss the soccer game. So you're going to make time to go to the soccer game. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, um, about making time. It's, um, again, I was listening to some, I, I listen to too many things and I don't remember. I can't remember reference. And that's a problem. <laughs> I need to work on that. But, uh, yeah, I was listening to them and they're saying, you know, it's, um, it's about, it's almost about like being proactive because we tend to be reactive as a society, I think in general, because we're just moving, moving, moving so fast. Yeah. And to, to your point to like that hustle culture is very much ingrained in American society. Yeah. I've lived abroad and it's like, and, and I'm sure like, you know, as people who listen, who travel, like space of life is different in different parts of the world work means something different in different parts of the world and i think here it's also like we're just you know we're just always on the grind it feels like although there's a lot of talk about well-being and balance but i feel like we're in terms of the what's happening on the ground it's still like you know and it's uh and and so it comes down to like being reactive versus proactive because we're not even making time to just pause yeah right exactly and like that pause button is so important like and, and it's hard, right? The, and I'm not saying it's, and I know you're not saying it's easy too, but mm -hmm. it's, um, it is so important. And, and I think going back to like our earlier conversation about like taking the pause, understand like what you love doing, why you love doing it. Like that sometimes can be the pause mm -hmm. to just get out of the day-to-day -day grind, get out of those meetings where you have to do things, get out of the job search even, which is mundane and, um, sometimes can get repetitive, um, just to assess and see where you are. Um, mm -hmm. It's, it's a powerful, powerful thing. No, yeah. e easier said than done for sure. For sure. Oh, yeah. Like it's, it's so hard. It, it, it is. It's uh, because we're creatures of habit, right? So like we're, we're so set in the way we do things and you have to like recreate basically how you think and approach life to know, but it's, it's doable. People do it every day. So um, tell me a little bit more about this concept you have of creating super fans of candidates. Yeah. So <clears throat> I think there, uh, you know, the thing that we notice when, when we talk to clients, um, is that they've done a lot of really cool stuff, like amazing accomplishments, but they don't know how to talk about it in a way that creates super fans or people who are just like salivating to be able to bring that person onto their team. The way to do that, um, and typically like the biggest area of improvement that we see, especially during the interview, is talking about the story on how you got a team, a person, a product, a service, whatever, from A to Z in a really succinct way. Um, and the, the biggest um, area that we see for improvement are for are talking about results. So for instance, 
I was talking with a client last week and he had been mentioning how uh, he, he runs multi-unit restaurant to, like groups um, in Texas. And he would like turn around whole districts like that were slumping in sales and he would get them to like 20, 30, 40% higher revenue as a result of some of the trainings and things that he would implement. But that wasn't coming across in his stories. And so he would say something like, you know, I put together this training and, you know, we saw sales increase and, you know, the franchisees were really, really excited and happy with the results. And while I'm sure they were, how, how, how did you quantify that? Like, what were the sales numbers? And mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, the, the response back to that when we were coaching was, well, I don't have them. And so, but I would challenge that and saying, okay, do you know somebody who still works at that company? Yes, I do. Can you go ask them what the percentage increase was back in 21? So he did that. 35, 40% increase. And so that made that story incredibly powerful because the person on the other end of the phone is saying, okay, cool. They thought it was great, but what, what happened? What was the impact of the thing that you did? That's actually yeah. going to move the needle. Um, and so uh, we like teaching, uh, quant, quant, quant is what we say all the time, uh, when we're coaching in terms of, uh, anything that you can want numbers of people, how many, how much, what time frame, what percentage, like all of those things, even if it's comparing to half over half, quarter over quarter, year over year, to the industry standard, to a competitor, like you'd be so surprised about how much you can quantify if you really think about it um, and, mm. and force yourself to, to look for something. Mm. And I think it also goes back to at least the culture. Like I'm, I'm from Russia and um, uh, I was born and raised there and grew up until I was 13. So I was very much embedded in Russian culture and in the way of thinking. And I see this around the world as well. It's almost like it's shame to talk about yourself. And I think mm. we, we, and so it's like almost like you're bragging. So when, when, you know, when people hear they're like, oh, like I have to like sell myself and it sounds dirty almost. Right. But it's like, no, you're just telling your story. So I like that you're like, you're just telling your story. Like you're not. Yeah. You know, it's not a dirty thing. <laughs> exactly. And you're telling the truth. Like, and that's right? the thing Facts, too, right? Yeah. Is that, yeah. And so like, I, I would, I rational fear if you were like going in and selling yourself and you were lying, right? Because like, that's bad <laughs> and we shouldn't be doing that. But you're, to your point, to what you just said, you're telling your story and it's, it's a, the truth of what you deliver to the business. So there's no, uh, I get, I totally understand different cultures and, you know, um, feeling, you know, braggy. It's also the same in the UK. Mm -hmm. Um, and folks have a hard time with that. Um, but it's not, you're not bragging about talking about something you did. It's just, you're just saying what you did. <laughs> yeah. You no. Know? Um, and in your experience, you've worked also with a lot of people where you're, you know, maybe they're looking to grow in their career or even get promoted. Are there any universal kind of things that people need in order to get ahead? And uh, uh, something that I've mentioned to before to my audience is that I, I have this, you know, theory that, or not the kind of what I see, I guess, is that most careers die at mid-level. And so to get to that next level, are there any like universal things or to get promoted? Like, who is it that gets promoted? Who is it that gets into those leadership roles? Like, have you seen anything that really stands out for you? So I would say universally, it's once you can elevate in your role, and I'll speak specifically about like leaders, because um, I definitely think you can grow as an independent contributor or as an IC on separate track. Mm -hmm. um, but specifically for leaders, I'll say that you at a certain level, and, I, and that usually this, this happens at the director level, 
you have to be able to lead through others. And so you're not in the trenches anymore. You're not the one pulling the report. You're not the one directing the minutia of the work. You are the one directing the leaders who are directing the work of the work. Mm. And so you have to really understand how to, how to motivate leaders, how to set vision. When you're setting vision with a bunch of ICs reporting to you, it's a lot easier and a lot more clear to talk about how you get from A to Z, right? Because you talk about the individual tasks, you talk about the schedule, you talk about you know, what needs to be reverse engineered. As a manager of managers or a leader of leaders, you have to set vision. How does the work get done? Why is it important? How do you prioritize? How do you coach leaders on how to deal with people issues and people problems, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so that is a really soft skill that you only learn by having a mentor, um, uh, investing in coaching, uh, you know, really taking pause as we're talking about and really thinking about how you're showing up, getting feedback about that. Um, so I would say that's like a big number one. Mm -hmm. uh, and then maybe number two is, um, I always have said this to like the bosses that I've reported to, but like my job to the person that I'm reporting to is to make their job easier and to make them look good. Mm. And so uh, there's been a lot of times, you know, where even when I was an HRVP at Facebook and things like that, I would work with leaders and they, that was like such a mind blowing concept to them that like their job was to make their leader look good. Yeah. Um, because then guess what happens? That leader gets promoted and guess what happens to you? You get promoted usually, hopefully. right? <laughs> hopefully. Yeah, exactly. If that leader is not a, you know, jerk. <laughs> right. Exactly. But not a jerk face. Yeah. Um, but you, but that elevation um, you're mm -hmm. kind of like feeding it from the ground up. So I would say that's probably another pattern I notice. Um, being in the Silicon Valley and like you're very much in a techie space. Um, I'm mm -hmm. I'm on, on the East Coast also, the, the industry, I'm in very techie. And what I've run into is um, that leadership growth um, in tech companies in particular seems to be uh, scar, scarce, scarce, is that the word? Um, in terms of people actually wanting to go into leadership roles. So have you seen that? Like, is, is, is that, is that just an, I don't know, an industry specific here, or have you seen it across board where, you know, tech people just tend to be like, listen, I just want to grow as an individual contri contributor. I don't really want to manage people. I don't want to deal with clients. <laughs> yes, I have. And I think it's a beautiful thing because I would say a decade ago, that really wasn't prevalent in order to move up in, in the world, right? Get a promotion. You had, you were forced to move from an IC to a manager and then move up into the ranks, especially like in the sales world, right? They would, uh, a lot of companies would put their top salesperson as an IC, as a, as the sales manager. And what the data show is that your top salesperson is not usually the best sales manager um, mm. because leadership skills are the most important thing that determines whether or not a leader is going to be successful. How are they motivating? How are they connecting? What is their EQ, their emotional intelligence? Um, how are they, uh, making sure that they're managing performance for their low performers in a constructive way. Hmm. Um, and all of that you don't deal with as an IC. Yeah. And so I think this like binary way of looking at it in terms of, you know, you can either grow as an IC and be really senior, maybe not have direct reports, but being seen as a team lead and being seen as a subject matter expert. Awesome. That's amazing because then we have leaders who are in leadership roles who really excel and are great at and like being a leader. And I think that mm -hmm. makes up for a really healthy ecosystem in a team. Yeah. And I, and I, I tend to agree on that side. And also there's the, you know, depending, I guess, which companies, um, 
my fear for individuals that are like super like individual like they're great individual contributors but in many many companies you get to a ceiling real quick like it's very hard to you know and many it depends depends on the company it depends on various factors you can be a very like you can be like a technical leader you don't have to manage but you can be like teaching other people how to be technical right mm -hmm. but it seems like at some point it becomes limiting to their career Mm. right and i haven't seen it play out too much because i work with a very um like when gen z's for example so mm -hmm. it's too soon right so like but like i just worry like five ten fifteen years from now what does their career look like you know mm -hmm. what i mean like uh, in terms of potential growth in the future unless they go into like their own business or freelancing for example yeah completely um so internally within a company i kind of look in growth in three different buckets beyond like IC to manager. So there's, mm -hmm. yes, uh, grow and roll. So as an IC, you're growing in level and responsibility growth as a manager, right? Direct manager, director, director, VP, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, there is the move from an IC to a manager, manager to IC. So that's bucket number two. And then bucket number three is the job. So like moving from sales to marketing or from marketing to data analytics. Um, those are really the, the three growth areas when you think about it. And so if you can mm -hmm. think about which one of those things are important to you, then it really gives you an idea um, about does this opportunity exist at the company that I'm at, whatever bucket I fall into that I want to grow next. And if it doesn't, then I need to go find it elsewhere. Um, and, and or how can I create that opportunity inside of my company if it isn't readily apparent to me that it exists right now? So how can I have a conversation with my manager that like, my next chapter in my career is that I want to be in data analytics and I'm in marketing right now. So how can we make that happen? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, you know, I have to pick on Gen Z's, poor Gen Z's, everybody picks on them. New York times just always throws like ridiculous articles. The other day I read something that was, um, uh, Gen Z's don't, <laughs> don't want to go into the office or something because they don't know how to deal with conflict. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and it was like, and it's, it's sad, but it's like, it's funny, but it's sad because it's kind of true because they, you know, especially like those that are like, you know, graduated during the pandemic, went into the workforce completely remote, you know, they just haven't yet gotten the skills to like deal with office politics and office BS. So do you, um, so what I want to ask you specifically is, you know, a lot of companies are saying, listen, you're fresh graduate, you're junior, X, Y, and Z developer, whoever you are on a team, you have to be in the office. You got to learn the 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 kind of day-to-day -day function of of what an office is like right mm -hmm. at least two three times a week and then there's other companies like no it's fine you can be remote what mm -hmm. have you seen as helpful not helpful like what where do you stand on that if the company has an office and you're close to it you should go when you first start absolutely mm -hmm. um even if you've been at the company for a while maybe you've been there through covid when everybody's remote now everybody's back go to the office um, not for full time, if that's not your jam, but go and like experience what it's like to work in an office, to have the water cooler conversations to like, you know, sometimes hear the BS gossip that goes on and like, how are you, you going to navigate that? Right. Cause, cause it's happening. It just might not be happening in front of your face. Um, and so you have to understand how to navigate it. Like you're saying, um, and I would also say, uh, you know, to anyone who's like a leader out there that might be listening bring your team together. Like the recommendation I give when I'm doing like team dev stuff is four times a uh, four times a year. So once a quarter, ideally is like the best time, at least for a week so that you are starting to build those 
human bonds that we have to build. We're not meant to talk over a freaking you know, camera all the time. Yeah. And there is just something different. I mean, I remember the first time I went back to the office when I was at Meta and everybody had been, was gone for, you know, whatever years for COVID. Um, and I was so reluctant to go. And I was like, I love waking up and like putting on my sweats and like, uh, you know, walking 10 feet over to my office and having my morning. I can't imagine going into the office, blah, blah, blah. But like, I was so filled up, like, of energy of connection after just being there for one day um you 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 just forget what it's mm. like to to be near other humans and to work with other humans it's very different like hanging out at a bar a restaurant whatever and like doing work with people collaborating whiteboarding brainstorming like all of that really valuable stuff that happens in an office space um you just miss when you're not there so do i rec do i think like people need to be in an office 100% of the time absolutely not um mm. but I do think there's something to be said about spending time in close proximity with other human beings. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I, I tend to agree. I think there is a lot of importance and just uh, not importance, but there's just a lot of, especially for young talent. I see this quite a bit. Like it's just, it's so important because, you know, loneliness is on the rise, depression is on the rise and it's really among the young populations. And I think that's a lot, that has a lot to do with it. Um, I think that, you know, your early 20s to mid, you know, early, your 20s in general is a very developmental area for us as like adults, realistically. Yeah. And and I think, um, especially in your career, um, it's 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 kind of like, a, you know, make it or break it years for, for somebody. And, and I think, I think that, again, I, I agree with you. Like, I think people just need, companies need to find what works for them. Uh, I'm also not a fan of like five days a week, but, you know, once a week, twice a week, you know, maybe once every couple of weeks, whatever, whatever floats the boat, right? Yeah. So it's uh many ways to do it, but yeah, I tend to agree. Yeah, yeah. And I if I think the, I was just as you were talking about that, I was thinking back to like I was trying to think like, okay, the people that like have helped me in my career were advocates for me. Were they people that I met when we were during COVID or were they people prior to COVID who I literally saw every single day, was talking with all the time? I'd say eight or eight, nine eight or nine of the 10 that I can think of right now were ones that I had developed like in-person relationships with mm. that I had gone to dinner with, that I had been in the trenches with like in a whiteboarding room, whiteboarding something. It's just because I think of the trust that you are, that I built maybe, or that we built, you know, the two of us yeah. um, going through it. So yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's probably, I think, I think we all know this, but we just, I think it's just, it's a good reminder because, you know, as you're speaking, I was like, I'm, I felt the same way. I was so comfortable at home. So I, I'm very um, social as a person. Most, I mean, I'm introverted, but I can be extroverted and, and I'm, I'm good in crowds. But I, I, you know, after just not not being around people as much, like I used to be like the networker and I used to be out all the time. And then yeah. I stopped doing that. And I got so comfortable to where when I did go to a networking, it would drain me. And mm -hmm. it took me like months to work my way up to just being around humans on that level again. And to your point, like you just get very, very comfortable. But I also saw an improve of my quality of life when I started going out and meeting more people and spending time. And and I think it's really good for us as just our well-being, overall well-being. Yeah. Um, uh, talk to me a little bit more uh, about, we started this conversation talking about how daunting this process is and how <laughs> of a killer it is. Um, you know, whether it's career growth or, you know, just, just, you know, life is hard in general and career growth is hard and career search is hard. And if it feels like so much of it just stumps in our confidence, you know, what, what, what are some of the things maybe you, you've seen people uh, effectively do to, to keep their confidence up and not, not have it crush their soul and not, how do you not take rejection personally? Yeah. 
Um, so I'm gonna teach you a little trick that I learned from the American Psychological Society that has always, and I, to this day, I still have this exercise on my monitor. Um, but essentially what happens, uh, what I what I do is I think about three words on how I wanna show up to the world or how I wanna be perceived or how I wanna feel. Um, so that might be like confident, unbreakable and effervescent, let's just say. And once I have those three words, you think of an icon or an emoji that encompasses all three of those words. And so that might be like, I don't know, the, the emoji with like the sunglasses and a smiley face, right? And so what you do is you draw that smiley face. It doesn't matter if you're a good artist or bad artist uh, with the sunglasses on a post-it note or a piece of paper or whatever. And you stick it on your monitor, you stick it on your mirror, you stick it on somewhere where you're going to see it every single day. And it sounds so silly, but the, the, the studies show that by placing an intention with a piece of iconography, you're actually 10 times more likely to show up in that way because you're, you were the one that created that synapse in your head, right? Of the smiley mm -hmm. faces to those three words. Um, the key is that you're putting it in a place that you're going to see it all the time, not in like a journal page that you're going to flip over and never see it again, because it's a constant reminder about a choice that you have on how you show up, mm. a choice that you have about the feelings that you are experiencing. And Tony Robbins says all the time, emotion creates emotion. So if I'm always focusing on like the, you know, scariness of changing careers, I'm going to feel that emotion. I'm going to feel scared. But if I'm focusing on, I'm really excited about creating a new connection with somebody who's going to give me more information, that's exciting, mm. right? Instead of like the scary part of like, what if I don't like the job? What if I can't land the job, et cetera? And so I, I like that tactic. Mm. I love that. Never thought about that. It's just like, as you're speaking, I was like, yeah, if you have it, because then you're there and it's almost like, it's like a affirmation and it almost, because it's that visual, the visual piece, I think. And like you said, you've, you've like, you've created it, you've no matter how, how good or bad that the drawing is, but you, your brain understands what it represents. Yes. And when you see it, it's like a confirmation and, and not a confirmation, maybe like an affirmation daily thing. And like, you look at it and you remember. Um, and I think that's so powerful. It's like, it's, I mean, it starts with our thoughts, right? Like we know this with all the newer science research and behavior science research that comes out, like how much our thoughts uh, create the world around us, right? To an extent, obviously, you know, you can't just manifest a great career. You actually got to work for it, yes. uh, you know? So, but, but I think that there is some power to how we talk to ourselves, right? And the thoughts. And um, I love that. I never, I never heard of that stick. You know, I'm going to do it. Do everybody, it. <laughs> everybody who's listening should just do it. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm horrible at drawing, but I'm going to do my best. <laughs> I am too. I am too. Sorry, um, I won't show you my sticky note. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> All right. I was going to ask, but I was like, oh, I love it. I won't. I won't. I didn't want to put you on the spot. <laughs> um, um, so uh, uh, before I ask you my last question, tell us where do you hang out? So I know you post a ton on LinkedIn. Uh, we recently connected and I love your content. It's very entertaining. It's very light, but at the same time, so inspiring and knowledgeable. So aside from LinkedIn, where I recommend for everybody to follow you, um where else do you spend most of your time um like in the digital world yeah in the digital yeah, world. <laughs> yeah. we don't want anybody talking now <laughs> yeah. um so uh, i'm on instagram probably like the second most active uh and it's just at aj mises all right awesome yeah. and yeah. the last question i ask all of my guests is what is one question you wish people would ask themselves more often Ooh. i think it's um what's the life I want to design? Mm. And I use the word design very specifically 
because we all have the agency to create the life that we want to design. And I'm not saying that life doesn't get hard. I'm not saying that like, you know, bumps in the road don't come. However, when you at a meta point of view, 30,000 foot feet in the air, when you take out the little bumps um, or even big bumps, the life that we design um, is a really powerful thing. And, to, and, and when you think about how you want to spend your time, who you want to spend it with, what types of things you want to be doing, you can reverse engineer what needs to happen in order for you to live that life. And so I think um, that's a question to yeah. ask. I love that. What is the life you want to do? What is the life you want to design? Mm -hmm. Beautiful. AJ, thank you. I feel like I could spend hours talking to you. So I'm going to hold my questions for next time, but I'm sure we will speak again and record something together again. But thank you for your time today. Such a pleasure. Thanks so much for, uh, for having me. Uh -huh.